0: hey folks welcome to the dark horse podcast live stream the 183rd if i am not mistaken i am dr brett weinstein this is dr heather Hying. it is july 19th 2023 that's right (laughs) i'm just making sure i'm you know how if people have a some sort of a trauma or some sort of an organic dysfunction the doctors ask them to provide certain information um they used used to ask who's president for example now i'm not sure anyone knows but once upon a time you could use that to assess people
1: what was your trauma today that uh, prompted you to go through a little litany to demonstrate that you're actually of sound mind and body
0: actually it's interesting the trauma was i woke up and remembered it was 2023 which is frightening so you know it was that and then
1: and then and then here we are from there
0: Uh, everything from there
1: yes uh 183 that's 183. That, uh, yep,
0: not prime. No, no. Heavens, no! Certainly not that I not. could give you a single factor other than one and 183, but it's definitely not prime.
1: 61 and three. 61, three. Right. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All
0: right. Well. Okay. I um. Mean- so. Yeah, go.
1: Uh, live streaming uh, right now from Rumble, if you're watching live. And uh, if you want to join the watch party, go over to our Locals, uh, which you can find if memory serves. Uh, if you're watching on Rumble, uh, you can hit subscribe now, I think, which is what, uh, which is join, what now. join now. Thank you. Uh, which, which gets you into Locals. And that is where uh, the, the chat will be from now on.
0: Presumably somewhere in the genome of slime molds, there is a join now button as
1: well. Can I just repeat that sentence back here? Sure, sure. Presumably somewhere in the genome of slime molds, there is a button called join now. Yeah.
0: Something like
1: that. Why?
0: So slime molds forage as independent units and then under certain conditions, like if they run out of food and they need to use the resources that they have accumulated in the foraging, they join together and fruit. It's kind of cool. Yeah. So join now. I think there's a you know, there's bound to be a methylation that's really a join now a or something like that. Join yeah.
1: now button. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. Epigenetic yeah, yeah. join now.
0: The epigenetic join now. Okay,
1: yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um I don't really have much to add to that. Um
0: But they should join now.
1: They, well I, I don't think, know that they should at the moment, no the watch party oh i thought you meant the slime mold no 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 no,
0: nothing (laughs) like that sorry this has been very confusing but i think we've now we're now headed in the same direction
1: okay good yes yes please join now locals watch party uh and there will be other stuff going on in locals as well Uh, but that is what is happening right now uh today we're going to talk a little bit about uh conference that you were just at in memphis uh the topic that we're going to revisit from two weeks ago when we were talking about whether or not given that um, men can identify as women and compete against women in sports, whether or not people might start to be able to be, uh, identifying as disabled and, uh, competing in the Special Olympics. Well, the answer is yes. Unfortunately, uh, we're going to talk about what the deep state actually means. And, um, also the influence of China on British and presumably other academics. Uh, and, uh, and therefore on what questions get asked and what answers get uh, answered. Uh, so that's, that's where we're going today. Uh, we're not gonna do a QA and a today, we will be back. Uh, we're here now at 11.30 AM Pacific on Wednesday and that's gonna be when we're doing our live streams from now on. We're gonna alternate weeks on, weeks off with Q&A. We'll do a QA and a next week. And um, moving everything else we want to talk to you about, um, sort of logistic-wise, housekeeping-wise, to the end, except for our ads. Uh, We have three sponsors, as always, at the top of the hour, and we are very pleased um, to have them all. Um, They are, this week, Soul Sundays and Seed. Uh, So without further ado, here we go. Our first sponsor this week is Soul. Soul Footbeds are the original custom moldable insoles, providing affordable pain relief since 2001. Sole footbeds include a signature supportive arch, which is clinically proven to reduce arch strain in your feet. And these footbeds are great for any arch height. If you have low arches or flat feet, you simply heat mold them in your oven at home to ensure a comfortable level of support. Anecdotally, I will say that sole footbeds have been a game changer for me. I was born with weird feet, weird enough that I had reconstructive surgery on both of them when I was 13, which put me in a wheelchair for months afterwards and really, truly ugly orthopedic shoes for a year after that. That surgery, though, was wildly successful, and I was playing varsity sports within a couple years of having it, but it's been a while since I was 13, and my arches are beginning to flatten, and my feet hurt a lot more than they used to. Wearing shoes with sole footbeds in them is helping tremendously. I have sole footbeds in my extra tough boots, and my hiking boots, and even in a pair of shoes that you might go to a nice restaurant in. They have multiple styles for different kinds of activity. If you have any foot issues at all, you should seriously try these footbeds. Sole footbeds are easily customizable using your oven at home, or you can skip that step and then mold to your feet over a few days. You get the benefits of personalized support at a small fraction of the price of doctor-prescribed orthotics, and they're made from recycled cork. Sole footbeds also reduce pain from plantar fasciitis and shin splints. They promote neutral alignment and good posture, and are particularly offended, offended, not a word, effective at preventing fat, fatigue when standing or walking for long hours on hard surfaces. Two thirds of people who try Soul footbeds come back for a second pair, and many have trusted Soul to keep their feet energized and pain-free for more than twenty years. If you've ever wondered whether orthotics could add to your comfort or athletic performance, this is your chance to find out what seventeen million satisfied Souls already know. As a Dark Horse listener, you can get fifty percent off Soul footbeds. Simply go to yoursoul.com/darkhorse or enter the code Dark Horse at checkout to get fifty percent off any full full-price pair of footbeds. That's yoursoul. Y-R-U-R-S-O-L-E dot com slash Dark Horse or enter the code Dark Horse at checkout when you check out at soul.com. Save 50% on Soul footbeds today and say goodbye to sore feet. Do you say they're not offensive? I think that was the word that I made up, yes. Yeah, um, yeah I um, think it should I-
0: be a word. I don't think it's in any way relevant to the footbeds but yeah
1: no I was yeah. I was I was looking ahead and I went uh, effective at preventing so I just went with offended
0: yeah I think uh, for some of us the word effective just you know creates for soul what, uh, what?
1: Mm. <laughs> our second sponsor this week is Maddie's all-time favorite where oh the dog is lying on the floor behind Brett Maddie's all-time favorite Sundays We love it too, because what dog owner and dog lover doesn't love a product that is great for their dog and that their dog thinks is great too? Sundays makes dry dog food. When they approached us about being a sponsor, we were dubious. Maddie, our dog, is a Labrador. Labs will basically eat anything. What possible difference was she gonna show an interest between her usual kibble, which is a widely available high-end brand, and Sundays? Well, we were wrong. Maddie loves the food that Sundays makes. Sun seriously loves it. If we run out of Sundays and give her her previous high-end kibble instead, she gives us a very sad look. And if you know labs, you know just how sad that look can be. She's clearly disappointed in us, frankly. And um, being a lab, she doesn't want to show that, but she's disappointed in us when we try to serve her something that's not Sundays. She knows that we can do better. We can give her Sundays, and we should. Not only is Sundays Maddie's favorite, it is also far better for her than the standard burnt kibble that comprises most dried dog food. Sunday's is the first and only human-grade air-dried dog food. Combining the nutrition and taste of all natural human-grade foods with the ease of a zero-prep, ready-to-eat formula, Sunday's is an amazing way to feed your dog, and in a pinch, a person, too. Brett. Sunday's is easy for humans. No fridge, no prep, no cleanup, no gross wet dog food smells. It's a total pleasure for the human interacting with it, which is a bonus. Sunday's is gently air-dried, ready-to-eat, no artificial binders, synthetic additives, or general garbage. Seriously, look at the label. All of Sunday's ingredients are easy to pronounce and healthy for dogs to eat. In a blind taste test, Sundays outperformed leading competitors 40 to 0. That sounds like a made-up number, but here's the thing. Um, Maddie was really enthusiastic about Sundays, much more so even than her other food, and it would have been hard to predict that she could have been more enthusiastic about food, but she is. She bounces and spins and leaps in anticipation. Do you want to make your dog happy with her diet and keep her healthy? Try Sundays. We've got a special deal for our listeners. Receive 35% off your first order. Go to sundaysfordogs.com slash darkhorse or use code darkhorse at checkout. That's S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-D-O-G-S dot com forward slash darkhorse. Switch to Sundays and feel good about what you are feeding your dog.
0: So I determined in feeding the dog earlier, I guess it would have been late last week, um, the uh, bag... That Sundays comes in is especially triggering to the dog. She has recognized the bag as an indicator.
1: Oh, well, sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't think she's... she can read what's on it, but I think she knows that uh, that bag with the velcro. Closure, yeah, no she's not a dumb she bunny. Re- no, she's not even a bunny. But she's a yeah. very smart bunny. Yeah. All right. Our final sponsor this week is Seed, a probiotic that really works. If you've tried probiotics before and got nothing out of it, try Seed. It's designed differently from other pro- probiotics, it's designed better. It actually works. Your gut and your immune system work together, coordinating your body's response to the world both around and within you. Seed helps improve the health of your gut microbiome, which means that it supports you becoming healthier overall. Our resident gut uh, microbes directly impact the development and function of the immune system. Even before we're born, microbes inform our immune systems, teaching our body how to distinguish between benign substances and pathogenic antigens. That is, substances that our bodies don't recognize as its own, as their own. My error says it right here.
1: Yeah, Pronouns.
0: You- Yeah, it's the pronouns that get you. Yeah, it Um, does seem to be that. You can support your gut immune axis in a variety of ways, including by prioritizing sleep. New research suggests that the gut microbiome has its own circadian clock and that changes to your normal rhythms and that changes to your normal rhythms can disrupt your microbes and the important functions they perform. Prioritizing regular sleep can thus keep your gut immune axis healthy. That is the axis of awesome. That's right. You can also support your gut immune access by taking Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Seed is a plant-based prebiotic and probiotic with 24 strains that have been clinically or scientifically studied for their benefits. 16 of those 24 strains are specifically geared towards digestive health, as you would expect from a probiotic, and four of the 24 probiotics probiotic strains are known to promote healthy skin. Your skin, like your gut, has its own microbiome. Seed supports both gut and skin health. Seed is free from 14 major classes of allergens, including but not limited to sugar, animal products, soy, gluten, peanut, glyphosate, dairy, shellfish, and corn. And Seed is double-hulled with its capsule and capsule design. It is engineered to maintain viability through your digestive tract until it reaches your colon where you want it. And the same design makes it resistant to oxygen, moisture, and heat, meaning that no refrigeration is necessary. Seed's daily symbiotic supports gut, skin, and heart health and micronutri- micronutrient synthesis. We have heard from several people who have used Seed and report improvements to their digestive function in 24 to 48 hours. So, start a new healthy habit today. Visit seed.com slash darkhorse and use the code darkhorse to receive 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 daily symbiotic. That's seed.com slash darkhorse and use the code darkhorse at checkout. Very good. Yes, I feel like no, I have to read out loud. It's some kind of test. This is a trauma I carry from childhood, as you know. But I'm over it. Good. For the day.
1: I probably will not end up, uh, you will probably not have to read aloud again today. Awesome. Yeah. So.
0: All right. Well, then I can relax.
1: Good. Uh, You were in Memphis this week.
0: Yes, I was in Memphis this week. Fascinating. So I was at a conference, a conference that it turns out many of the attendees uh, attend every year. I didn't know anything about it until I went. It's called Freedom Fest. Freedom Fest is the annual gathering of American libertarians, which is not synonymous with the Libertarian Party. The Libertarian Party was there and in fact brought me to Freedom Fest. But it is people who are libertarian-minded, including many people who are, as I would classify me and I think you, smaller libertarians, people who believe that liberty is very important. Um, but it's not uh, a political label for them so anyway it was an interesting mixture of folks there were some people there who weren't libertarians there were some people there who I uh, would classify as republicans there were some democrats there um oh go ahead
1: i've never thought of myself as a libertarian
0: you've never thought of yourself no. well you know that i mean uh, i mean
1: quite explicitly quite explicitly not and i think that was certainly true for you until very recently
0: smaller libertarian it's- yeah but,
1: but then you then you compared it to Republicans.
0: Well, if you look at the, uh, what's it called? The four quadrant, uh, I've now forgotten the name for it. The
1: political compass test. Yeah. The
0: political compass test. The political compass test, uh, has it as the antagonist, as the opposite of authoritarian.
1: Right. But then, so my, my objection was that your counterpoint was Republican and Democrat,
0: which sounds then
1: like a political, uh, descriptor because those are the parties.
0: Yes. Um, I do believe I am certainly a small L libertarian. I believe if we were to look at your beliefs, you would be a small L libertarian because of your focus on not regulating more than is necessary. Uh, Sure, just just
1: not if we are describing political parties. True. And
0: anyway, um, it was a very interesting gathering. Um, it was, it had a number of people in there who would not ordinarily be at such a place. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, there were Matt Taibbi was there. Um, Nadine Strawson was there. Uh, I met Daryl Davis. That was something I've wanted. That is a person I have wanted to meet. Something I've wanted to do for a very long time. Daryl Davis is the black guy who attended Ku Klux Klan rallies and befriended Klan members and convinced them that they had erred and got them to quit. Mm. Um, anyway, he's a great guy. He's also a brilliant musician, Mm. just absolutely marvelous. Uh, boogie woogie, mostly keyboards, but he did an amazing thing where he, uh, he snuck up on his guitarist and, uh, reached around his guitarist and took over the guitar. Anyway, he's
1: quite the virtuoso.
0: Um, but anyway, very interesting conference. Uh, I was on, I gave one talk uh, to a large L Libertarian caucus. They were very welcoming of me, despite the fact that I told them that I was not only a liberal, but a radical, a reluctant one, as I keep saying. But nonetheless, they, uh, they were ready to go. And, and that was all very heartening, because in my past experience, libertarians have often been hard to reach. As soon as they know that you're not up for, you know, frustrating all attempts to regulate anything, uh, they, they, they tune out. But that was not the case.
1: And it seems that as with much that we have been seeing in the last few years and that you and I have been talking about as well, it is hard to know to what degree um, our understanding of them has changed and to what degree uh, the party itself has changed.
0: Yeah, I think there's a little bit of both. I right. think there, there has always been a deeper intellectual thread there that is not visible because the ideological political thread is visible and yep. because it is actually, at some level, the only viable third party we've got. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, the fact of the party does sort of overwhelm the, the deeper strands, but I also think there's a leveling up. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. There's a recognition. I heard lots of talk of things like game theory Mm -hmm. which is something that I have found libertarians uninterested in talking about in the past, in part because one of the major arguments against libertarianism as a a political uh, uh, mode is that it doesn't deal with things like externalities and and the like. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Collective action problems of all sorts. Um, But there's A, an awareness that maybe uh, purity isn't so good and that... Some of these things are necessary. um, Some of these things, some of these governmental
1: interventions.
0: Structures that uh, prevent unnecessary failures may be desirable in spite of the fact that they Mm -hmm. are uh, um, uh, not, strictly speaking, um, libertarian as a a matter of policy. But anyway, um, the conference was very open to... Folks from other political stripes, and it was—I uh, think the other—the other thing, in addition to the libertarian mindset maybe b- maturing, is that I think a lot of us are just spooked, and yeah. I certainly know mm-hmm. that in my own case, even at not a, a, an analytical level, but at a political level, I'm more sympathetic to libertarians because I've now seen, uh, you know, a, a an absolutely malignant form of governance take over every single institution. And my feeling is, you know, I don't want malignant government empowered at all. Right. So I'd rather have, you know, a, a, an underpowered structure. Mm -hmm. So the malignancy isn't so dangerous than have something that is uh, powerful and doing the wrong thing. But, um, in any case, the most fascinating thing was that at the end of the conference, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. showed up in Memphis to address the conference, and that had a kind of powerful effect, of course, because of course. he is reaching across all sorts of political lines. Um, he's quite controversial yeah. in some places, but in any case, uh, in fact, the panel that I, the, I, so I gave a talk, and I was also on a, a panel with some some very interesting folks, Um, around actually thinking through what the Libertarian Party should do, thinking outside the ballot box was the idea. Mm -hmm. But anyway, right after we talked, Bobby Kennedy uh, showed up and gave, I don't know, must have been a 35-minute talk, no notes whatsoever. Walked up to the podium and just, boom, Mm -hmm. uh, off the top of his head, and you know a as is his way a highly specific talk in which he cited evidence for each of his points but the most interesting thing is he so here he is he's a you know he's a he's a democrat of a kind that you and i grew up with a kind of democrat that used to be common and is now exceedingly rare um And he didn't, as I didn't, pretend to be anything other than I am. He didn't pretend to be anything other than he was either. And he laid out a case, which uh, I thought was excellent. I'm a little surprised at how well it read in the room. Mm. Okay. So he laid out a case in which he said, uh, the best way to address pollution is the free market. Okay. So
1: far, that sounds like an easy sell in that room.
0: Yes, except how are you possibly going to have a free market regulate pollution out of existence?
1: Well, you need to hear more. But so far, that sounds like something that uh, a libertarian audience would be receptive to.
0: Yes, definitely. On the other hand, you have to, you know, the question is, what's the word free doing there? Right now, the market forces are, in fact, the best Mechanism for figuring out how to do things. This is a case I've made. They should never tell you what to do, but telling you how to do things, there's no tool anywhere near as good. So how do you eliminate pollution, for example? Well, Kennedy lays out a case for internalizing the cost for all uh, production. And he says, correctly, he says, uh, pollution is inefficiency right? If you're dumping something into a river, that's an inefficiency. It's some part of the process Mm -hmm. that uh, didn't have anywhere to go. And you're taking advantage of the fact that you can easily put it in the river and getting it out of the river may be impossible or very difficult. Um, But, you know, if you paid the cost of getting it out of the river, you'd never put it in the river in the first place, which is true. Um, But uh, I know because I've been making a similar case. I I used to say if... um, if all you did was internalize every cost completely, government needs to do almost nothing else, right? That's almost the only thing it has to do. And the reason that that's almost the only thing it has to do.
1: But it's a big thing.
0: Yeah. In fact, it's impossible to do it perfectly. That's right. so the devil's in the details. But if government simply internalized all costs, right? If the pharmaceutical manufacturer was responsible for all of the benefits that it produces that's where the profits come from and it had to take from those profits uh, you know uh, some uh, it had to pay for the harms that it had done in the process the harms uh, done to people who had effects downstream and all of that then it would be it would have every interest in bringing drugs to market that were safe and effective, right? If the costs of, you know, a cancer that you get five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road are not born by you, then uh, there's no reason for pharma to think about it. So basic point is internalized costs result in evolution solving problems. And that's really the, he, he didn't use the term evolution, but the idea is if the market internalizes all those costs, then evolution takes care of all the things that we don't want, right?
1: How is the internalization of costs uh, happening in a scenario which you could call a free market?
0: Well, that's just the thing. This is sort of an enlightened view of a free market. The point it's like a freeing market, right? The market, you have to have some mechanism for those costs returning to the people who generated them, right? And that includes things that are not even costs, risks taken. Right. If you release something into the public and you don't know, you know, if you release flame retardants and you don't know what their effect is going to be, then the question is, well, what is the likelihood that you're going to end up injuring people and be responsible for, uh, for compensating them down the road? So anyway, the upshot of all of this is he laid out a very good case for a world in which markets solve problems. I wouldn't call those free markets exactly, mm-hmm. but... What I would have expected was that libertarians, upon hearing this case, would have had a, wait a second, how the heck are you going to do that? Who's going to watch the watchers? That reaction. Right. Right? The,
1: the research being done to assess the risks and the costs will be, uh, will be immediately captured um, by insiders uh, who have the perverse incentives. And you know, now you've just added more bureaucracy and it's less free and that's lose-lose. Right.
0: He got a standing ovation. And I don't think it's because anybody was confused about what he said. I think there is a genuine openness that we have now seen what happens when particular ideologies are allowed to enact their, Mm -hmm. you know, fantasy set of regulations and you produce catastrophes. And there's a question about, oh, crap, how are we going to actually govern in some way that works, that doesn't expose us to obscene harms that you know caused somebody to, you know, buy a third home, but resulted in other people's children dying. Right? Yeah. Um. So, I'm hopeful because a, I saw a. I mean, really, he's one of the best orators I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. He is absolutely spectacular. He is. Excru- but it's
1: not obscuring um, faints or. Uh, lack of knowledge or um, a desire to mislead, where you know, so, sometimes excellent oration, excellent oratory, uh, covers uh, co- covers deviousness. Yep. And uh, I at least have seen no evidence of that.
0: I think there is none. I think this mm-hmm. is a completely genuine person who is also, you know, in addition to being at the very upper echelon of orators, at least in English. Um, he's also extremely well versed in the subject matter that he talks about. You know, he...
1: which is many, many subject matters as well. Right. Yeah.
0: And so he, you know, he keeps yeah. getting flagged over stuff that sounds too shocking to be true, but his answer is the same. It's well, show me where I've got it wrong. Here's what I'm going from. Here, here's mm-hmm. what. I, here's what I read. Yeah. And here's how I understand it. Show me where I've got it wrong. And when you do show him where he's got it wrong he does back up and change. So anyway,
1: Uh, on those rare occasions where he's got it wrong.
0: Right. Right. On those rare occasions. And you know, it's usually not wildly wrong. It's somewhat wrong. Um, so I don't know what to think about all of this. I saw, I don't know how many people were in the room, many hundreds, at least 500, maybe there were closer to a thousand people in the room. Um, and um uh, the degree to which they were open to hearing from somebody of a very different stripe, to which he was capable of laying out a case for something that, you know, you can't operationalize what he said directly. Right. The question is, right. can, yeah,
1: he didn't he didn't provide an entire plan.
0: What it is, is a goal right? It's like saying colorblind society. Will you ever have a colorblind society, you know, like a society with not a single person who is predisposed to think one way or another by somebody else's color? No, but it can be an objective. It can be, um, you know, it can be a a guiding principle. And he laid out a guiding principle and um, did so in a way it was very hearable. And this gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. I think um, there, there was a kind of, there was a lot of, Uh, joy actually in this gathering of people hearing from folks they wouldn't necessarily ordinarily uh, be in contact with Mm. and being united by a feeling of shared purpose and maybe even shared jeopardy at the moment that you know a nation on which we are depending is clearly coming apart at the seams and
1: well i mean as as you have written about um it is, it is the shared jeopardy uh which is more likely to bring people together uh to begin with than shared purpose uh in in part i think because it is harder to agree on the nitty-gritty of the shared purpose and um shared jeopardy uh, you know it is i guess it is understood in times in extreme times that uh hey zach yep. you want to thank you uh, <laughs> it is understood in extreme times that uh you're going to have to try a lot of things and you're going to have to try them fast. And there's not a lot of time, uh, to, to go through all of the discussions that might be called for. If you're just saying, you know what, we have, we have this idea, we want to make it happen. We've got some time. And so it, it brings people together with a greater sense of urgency. And, um, and once that happens, I think it is easier to see, Oh, you know what, the things that we thought divided us aren't so, aren't so big after all.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I'm reminded two two threads kind of come together um, here. There is this galvanizing feature of shared jeopardy, and there's also a fissioning feature of jeopardy, and mm-hmm. I think we are seeing both of these things simultaneously. And one of them is extremely hopeful. The the feeling of camaraderie of discovering that you have large numbers of people who are actually willing to fight for the same thing that you are is Mm -hmm. uh it is a a marvelous feeling and at the same time we are watching this uh petty at best and lethal at worst demonization of others the other yeah. And I, you know, I wasn't sure if I wanted to talk about this um, today, but I did have, uh, again, we talked about it briefly some weeks ago, maybe a month and a half ago. I had gotten, for whatever reason on Twitter, dumped into what I call Nazi Twitter, mm-hmm. right? And I tweeted about it yesterday or the day before, and I got back a reaction that I was not expecting. First thing is people think that I am using that term the way it's been leveled at people like us or Bobby Kennedy, mm. right? That I'm abusing the term that Nazi is is a buzzword and that you can, you know, you can tweak people's amygdala by using it. Nope. No, 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 no. When I say Nazi Twitter, I am talking about a part of Twitter where swastikas are not viewed as negative, where Hitler is quoted in an effort to illustrate that he is not who we were told he was. In fact, the idea that is commonly circulated in this part of Twitter is... That the television is lying to you, which I'm sure it is, Mm -hmm. but that the television is lying to you that Hitler actually was not interested in war. He was interested in peace and that the narrative that has been created around him in the aftermath of the Holocaust and World War II is a construction of, you guessed it, Jews in Hollywood. Mm. Right now. Amazing. Amazing. But then here's the crazy part. That's not that's not every account. Okay? Most of the accounts over in that land are replying there and there are some people over there that I know, people who have actually defended us in some cases. These people are not Nazis, mm-hmm. but they are now trafficking in a kind of sophistication or false sophistication that I know what it is because, frankly, I wrote a paper on it in college saying here is what this impulse to genocide actually is. And I see it bubbling up and I see people who are way smart enough to understand that they are in fact not they have not happened on to a place where we need dissidents who can see, you know, the true nuanced nature of Hitler, what they are is actually activating an ancient program that lives in all people that causes them to go after other people who can't defend themselves.
1: At one level, of course, every everything will get gamed by claiming that it's the opposite. So this ancient, deeply tribal, deeply simplistic, Unfortunately, human, although also primate, also any social organism, uh, way of looking for the lines which divide you, is being trotted out as if it is the nuanced position. Right? That this is nuance. Like that's not nuance. It's barbaric.
0: It's barbaric. In, I don't even know how to parse this thing. Right? Yeah. Because what I keep hearing is, you know. If black pride is okay, why isn't white pride okay? Now, I know what the answer to that question is, to the extent that that question has an answer, and I know why it's not a completely satisfying answer, but more to the point. I put out a video on Dark Horse back in, must have been 2018, in which I said, look, if the woke revolution keeps demonizing white people as the source of all badness, then you're backing them into the wall together, and they're going to respond in a completely predictable way, okay? I wasn't defending those people who were demonizing white folks. I actually believe this stuff. I want to live in a country where who you are at a genetic level doesn't matter and where opportunity is distributed as widely as possible, and I want us to compete, and I want people who contribute more to get paid more, right? That's not a utopian vision. That is a place we were headed. It's a
1: possible vision. It's
0: a possible vision.
1: Unlike a utopian vision.
0: Right. So to watch people now trafficking in Hitlerian revisionism, including, you know, seriously, we're talking about accounts who have been, you know, in one case, an important COVID dissident account. It's an anonymous account, so I don't know who who it is. But Mm -hmm. um, we're talking about People who should know better.
1: Well, there's, I mean, there's also a a rejection of modernity, right? And we certainly, you know, the the entire premise of our book is about hypernovelty and the particular risks of uh, that the twenty first century and the, and most of the twentieth century have brought to humans. Uh, on the basis of reductionist, metric-heavy, pseudo-quantitative, pseudo-scientific thinking uh, that has led us into a badly technological uh, universe, right? But that does not mean that we aren't interested in the modern and, the, and progress, right? And what I'm hearing from you talking about this and what I'm seeing over in um, relations between the sexes is, okay, full stop, we're done. All of that was a mistake. Let's go back to trad everything, racist, misogynist, everything, homophobic, all of it, right? And it can be easy if you're not paying any attention at all to think that those of us who are critiquing the uh, the overreach, the uh, bludgeoning of people with actually new racist things and newly sexist ideas, um, <clears throat> are are part of the problem. But it is a new it, it, this this call to tradition, this call to what has already been, is. So often what you're seeing and what you're calling Nazi Twitter and what I'm seeing, and I don't have a name for it yet, but certainly what is being revealed in a lot of the trans ideology is this like, okay, part of the problem, you know what I see? Oh, the problem is that women got the vote. Really? That's where we are. We're allowed to say that now? Oh, okay. So guess what, pseudo lefties? This is your making. Like this, this, this is something that you have helped create, you have helped come, you know, bring out into into the public with strength, because you are saying things that are so insane, that people are looking around going like, what, what can I do? Maybe the only thing I can do is to seek to reverse the clock by 150 years and see if we can't start over from there. Back in, an, back in an era when not nearly as many people had voices because of immutable characteristics of their birth. And no, none of us should want to go back there. But of course, people are, are thinking about it.
0: So this, this was actually the subject of the talk I gave uh, in, in Memphis. Um, my premise was that the founders, of, the American founders, almost accidentally figured out the formula for sidelining the most basic form of of collaboration which is genetic Mm -hmm. and enabling a kind of collaboration which is indifferent to genes and is based on reciprocity and the idea Mm -hmm. is if you have a large population and you are enabled to collaborate with anybody who's well positioned to collaborate with you has something to bring to the table and has the features of character that make them a good collaborator then you're way richer and if you had to collaborate only with people who shared your genes, right, the number of people with whom you can partner is greater. And that, that of course, is a generator of wealth. Right. But right. over in Nazi Twitter, it is very common to hear that the melting pot is a failed experiment. Yeah. Now, the melting pot is not a failed experiment. The melting pot was one of the greatest ideas that anybody ever had. And you can tell that by how much was accomplished by this, yes, broken melting pot. Did we ever actually melt together? Not in the way that the founders might have expected. But, but
1: we were getting there. So, yes. you know, lest, lest you or we sound like, well, the problem isn't with communism. It's that true communism has never been tried, right? Like, lest that we, lest that we seem to be making that facile argument, Um, You are not saying, well, but it wasn't really a melting pot. Like we were, we were getting there. We were moving in the right direction and it was getting better and better and better through at least, you know, the timeline for me sort of starts at my consciousness, but it feels like, you know, mid seventies through at least really the millennium, we were moving in the right direction.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a question of optimization, right? Now there is a deep conversation to be had, of course, about the difference between optimizing something that you've got and uh, innovating something that you don't yet have. And the real point is the West had the thing. How to accomplish it at a practical level, it had the values spelled out, and it wasn't all spelled out at the beginning either. In fact, our founding documents contain at least one major embarrassment Mm -hmm. on exactly this point. However, uh, as I argued in Memphis, You have Martin Luther King Jr., who functions like a late-arriving founder, right? He completes the puzzle, right? His children will be judged on the content of their character and not the color of their skin. That is a foundational principle. It is late-arriving, but we had it, Mm -hmm. right? We had it from before you and I were born. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that you head in that direction, you you gain more wealth. You gain more wealth by virtue of a even more seamless collaboration between people who bring different things to the table, right? And the other thing is we talk, in our book, we lay out the um, framework of frontiers. We describe four different kinds, the fourth one having not yet been discovered, but logically it exists. Um, the third frontier being a frontier of transfer where you can't generate growth along either of the first two frontiers, either by finding a new place to go or by innovating new technology.
1: Geographic frontier, technological frontier, or this third type, which is transfer. A form of
0: theft. Transfer, which transfer can mean kill those people and take their stuff, mm-hmm. which is what the Holocaust was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is what is looming, whether the people over in Nazi Twitter understand it or not, it is what is looming over there. This is a totally predictable program that will emerge under certain circumstances and the the idea that we have a a criminal class in charge of our political landscape right stealing from us left and right in ways that we can't understand time traveling money printer being one such mechanism right right we've got these people stealing our wealth right they don't want us to come after them And so they partner with the woke revolutionaries who make race a focus and begin demonizing people. Of course, they're demonizing, you know, average whites. Those average whites are, of course, going to react to being demonized by gathering together and saying, did you do anything wrong? Did I do anything? Why are we being demonized, right? Totally predictable. And that this would then unleash this ancient program. It's an ancient genocidal program. And the fact is... Here's the analogy people need. This is exactly like the program for rape. We are all, all of us, male and female, downstream, we are the product of many historical rapes. That is essentially certain based on the degree to which warfare has played a role in our histories. Mm -hmm. So genetically speaking, we all carry that potential, whether we're female and effectively unable to act on it or male and have a choice whether or not to act on it. We construct society so that that impulse does not manifest itself, right? Now, I cannot tell you how dumb it is that we are allowing pornographers to play with that particular trope because they are making it sexy in some people's minds, which is, of course, going to produce more rapes in the real world. Mm -hmm. Likewise, people uh, Nazi LARPing on Twitter, especially at a moment where, yeah, the thieves have taken the growth. We are, you know, eyeing each other, trying to figure out, you know, who's going to get a chair when the music stops. Mm hmm. And this is all predictable, but it's
1: all for- predictable, and it's all just such again facile, basic like naturalistic fallacy level thinking, oh well, you know it happened, therefore it must be good. it is yeah, evolution produced it, therefore it must be the thing that we ought to be doing like no, there is no there, there cannot be a connection an inherent connection between what is and what ought we we, we cannot assume that and that is that is inherent in most of these mistaken new, um, new based on ancient belief systems.
0: And that's why I raise the analogy of rape, because any correctly thinking person, any person who has their logical uh, faculties can understand that, I mean, it's so obvious, that one can spread one's genes by raping, Mm -hmm. right? If you know that, you still decide, hey, that's not for me. That is in inco- whatever program I carry that might be capable of that is inconsistent with my values. I will forego any opportunity that exists downstream of that behavior because it is morally unacceptable to me, the conscious person. Yeah. And genocide is the same goddamn thing. Yes, we all carry that potential, undoubtedly. Right. The question is, can you look at it and say, not for me, I'm not really interested in whether my genes for respiration, you know, the particular spellings of them find their way into the 25th century. Right. I will not commit genocide on behalf of my genes for respiration. That is what evolution will program me to do. But I am actually much more interested in what we as people can construct, can accomplish. I'm much more interested in the feats of curiosity, of decency, of compassion, of beauty, all of those things. Those are also things we can accomplish. And we get to choose between these two things. Yes, and we do. if you're over in Nazi Twitter, get out. Remember who we are. Stop doing this. It is not the program you want to enact. There is nothing honorable about it. And even if you win at the end of the day, you are doing something that anyone... If we survive another thousand years, the people that you would most like to hang out with, the most decent, the most intelligent people will look at what you did and they will say, God damn you. Why did you do that? So anyway, that's my plea. The idea that Nazi Twitter is out there, I'm not asking that we shut down these people's right to speak. I don't want that it shut down, Mm -hmm. but I do want that fraction of people who are playing with those tropes who are capable of thinking their way through this to realize they are operating based on an ancient program every bit as much as if they were contemplating rape. That's what they're doing.
1: Excellent. Um, It is telling, perhaps, that... that while you are discovering how much of that is out there now and growing uh that those who would never engage in such thinking or or actions are being demonized as anti-semites um and you know we already talked some about bobby kennedy and I, i you know i don't know that we need to connect these things but it does feel to me like it's it's a diversion i feel like i feel like we are living in a landscape of of feints of you know f-e-i-n-t-s of of you know don't look at the man behind the curtain like there's a dog and pony show over here there's oh you know that anti-semitism is bad look at this guy who's an anti semite when there's actually a rise in what's in in the hatred in the genocidal impulses um just out of you just where you're not looking just where none of the media are pointing their they're I don't even know what journalists point pens. They don't though, right? <laughs> like Ambrose. lasers. I can <laughs> with lasers and that's not it. <laughs> but uh, like like you, you, I don't see the discussion of what you're talking about. And I do see to some degree a discussion of what I've seen over in the somewhat similar land around sex um, because there are increasingly, a large number of people, um, women mostly, some men who are saying this must stop. We we are we are going backwards into a land that is um, very very dangerous for girls and women. And we had won these rights, we had we had secured them, and and now we are losing them. Um, and so you know I, I do I do see substantial pushback over in the sort of the the sex and gender equivalent space, um, but I also see a lot of encouragement of the insanity and it's different with with race and with ethnicity because the way the media has decided to understand it is um is differently confused but um you know no no one no one in the mainstream media is explicitly celebrating anti-semitism but they are implicitly doing so with their choices
0: they are inviting it yes now the the sex and gender version of this maybe it's just sex really yeah um there's a different story to be told right and i think the thing with sex is i think we almost perfectly attained this one i mean that you know it, it's an optimality program problem but the point is women uh women Younger women your age and younger did have an increasingly open landscape to choose what to do with their time, effort, talent.
1: Yep. Life.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. So we solved it at that level. And I mean, in fact, even in, you know, trad circles
1: for, for a certain class right like you know middle middle class and and above i think you know right
0: well actually this this goes back to an old point of mine which is that the discrimination against women is fundamentally different than discrimination against different racial groups because women exist at every level, every class. They may mm-hmm. not have been empowered in the highest class, but at the level of whether their interests get spoken to. Right.
1: But I mean I and I think I think there's an analogy a very clear analogy to be made here. Like whereas women exist in equal numbers at all classes, in equal ratios in all classes, uh, black people, for instance, did not do not, right? And uh, there are many scholars out there who would say, actually, if you're a middle class or higher um, black person growing up in America in the, you know, 1990s, 2000s, you had the opportunities, just as if you were a middle class or a higher woman growing up in, you know, in the 1970s. Well, you, you know, you, you had the opportunities and it continues to manifest differently. Race and sex are not the same thing. Um However, if you insist, as many on the, you know, insane left, uh, insist on doing, on not talking about class at all and pulling and, you know, claiming to be all about intersectionality and all of these things, but never talking about class, you of course find that. Um, black people have worse outcomes, and then you conclude with some sort of magic trick that that is due to a systemic racism, as opposed to saying, "Let's talk about let's let's talk about um, black people in class, and let's talk about women in class, and say, okay, we were we had gotten so close to where we wanted to be with both of these, with 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 both demographics, if you it for people who had enough." financial stability in the home in which they grew up that they were able to take advantage of the opportunities that society was busy providing so and and those both of those but a, but a, you know both of those are sliding now.
0: so let me let me uh rephrase that and see if i've got it yeah you had women at every class right there are women you know uh for that's re- what sex is right right, <laughs> right. like this,
1: so as, as much as some people would like to pretend to forget that that's what sex is you have just as many women and men at, at every class basically except in a few rare cultures doesn't matter enough. enough right right uh
0: as for american blacks how many american black billionaires are there i don't know but yeah. it's going to be a small fraction of the the billionaire class it's not going to so, be equivalent to so the then, sex
1: ratio the, the race, racial ratio of population. here's the
0: question we had a increasingly over our lifetimes we watched racism go from something you know we were born into an era where you know there was an echo of where there was there was very deep racism left in the era just prior to the one we were born into right yeah martin luther king assassinated in 1968 right um so and the significance of that is not the assassination which uh At least one court has ruled likely involved the FBI, so it doesn't have to have been a racist um, action. That may have been a political action. But, um, you know, the point is the civil rights movement in which he was deeply involved at that moment was, you know, at fever pitch. So.
1: Well, I mean, I think uh, that then would be... I think the definition of what people mean when they say systemic racism, like, you know, why, why would there have been political impetus to kill, uh, the greatest civil rights leader of all time?
0: Well, the thing is, I think I know the the answer. I think I know the answer and I think the answer does involve racism, but I don't want to assume that because the fact is there's so much money and power at stake in governmental stuff that who knows what the actual thought process was. Um, but the point is the civil rights movement was, uh, obviously at its peak um, at that moment. And it was that because there was lots of racism alive and well, but over the course of our lifetimes, that racism uh, abated spectacularly, Mm -hmm. right? To the extent that it is, or it was 10 years ago, pretty rare to meet anybody who uh, spoke openly about their racist views by and large, people had gotten over it and they actually liked the idea that they, you know. That, I,
1: I will say that this, there, there must be regional differences.
0: No doubt. Right. No doubt. But in general, I mean, I don't know what it was that did it, but the fact is, you know, the cultural mechanisms had spread everything far and wide and in the same way that people just got very used to gay you know gay was a big deal when we were born it was not a big deal as of 10 years ago right it was just a thing um and that had a lot to do with Freddie Mercury and it had a lot to do with Will and Grace and it had a lot to do with uh you know Elton John and whatever Um, and so the point is that people just getting used to this stuff, they get over it. And in part, they get over it because once you do, as I've said before, it's like giving yourself a raise, right? Yeah. You're paying a cost for your racism, right? In part, you're paying a cost because you can't collaborate with everybody. Mm -hmm. You get rid of it and you just feel better. You worry less. You have a wider range of people that you can make wealth with. So anyway, so the point is you had women at every class, much less so it was much more skewed with respect to race. Yep and the difference is that even if you get rid of the racists right if you inherit a level right. of opportunity you are in a much worse position to leverage it and so the, and
1: you can't solve the problem by imposing right now requirements around you know things like quotas
0: right so there's some very complex question about okay okay all the racists vanished but i still uh, i don't have the opportunity with which to get out of the situation that the racism created. Right. What do I do with that? What do I do? So Mm -hmm. what I'm pointing at is like, yes, we are in a disastrous phase where we are toying with unmaking all of the amazing progress that the West made against racism and sexism. And clearly we benefited greatly from putting this stuff aside. The more we put it aside, the better off we did. But the interesting thing is even in conservative circles, right, you find women and men intermingling at every level of thought and power. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. We actually succeeded, and I think because the women who were liberated from sexism were in a position to leverage that liberation in a way that, uh, racially speaking, was much less even. Um, and so, you know, we do find many of the voices who are arguing uh, for some sort of a return in male-female space, some sort of a return, which I don't think is possible. There's nowhere to go. But nonetheless, some of the women who are making these arguments are highly accomplished women who are leveraging the benefits. Yeah, of... they're
1: the beneficiaries of many of the societal changes that they would have us reverse, and that is um, that is staggering to observe uh, and you know i, th- I think that, that's a kind of observation that is made a lot and is often mis misattributed but i do think that as much as there was a lot about um the changes in expectations around gender norms and uh and sex roles in relationships and in society in the second half of the 20th century uh, that created some problems that, uh, most of us never foresaw. Uh, the idea that you could have benefited greatly from, um, that proportion of those changes that were extraordinary and, and valuable and be arguing for a return to trad is, um, is striking. And it, you know, it's, it's one of the things that, causes me to lose hope well that that we we can be that any anyone can be so blind to what like what allowed them to be in the place that they are now speaking to make sure that what like no one else can come up behind them and accomplish similar things but
0: i so i think this is you're not being dumped into nazi twitter somehow you're not seeing i'm seeing it yeah i'm not seeing the uh argument for i guess i have seen an occasional argument against uh the right of women to vote but an argument leveled by men. I do not, I hear women making an argument for a return to traditional stuff. I hear lots of them, right? Mary Harrington, Louise Perry, uh, Megan Murphy. Uh, there's, there's a fair amount of this, but where I yeah, hear no, it I is not about.
1: Th- that's in, 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 in their cases, that's not who I'm, who I'm thinking of. Um, in, in their cases, it I think it's more about, um, Recognizing the value of choice and returning to it, or or creating a world in which, right, if I those are not three identical thinking people, right? Nope. But like, but there are, you know, there was a a moment, um, you know, maybe a caricature of a moment in time, when. Um, if you were a middle-class American white woman in 1950, say, um, the, the thing that you could choose to do was find a husband and raise a family and have a nice home, and I'm, that is way oversimplified. Um, but there were plenty of women who either because they hadn't found a husband yet, or that was just not what they wanted to do, who went out into the workforce. But it was never understood to be the thing that was what women should be wanting to do. And I think what second wave feminism did, in part, and you know, I I have thought of myself as a second wave feminist, even though you know it came before our time, um, was largely freed women from that as the default expectation. Um, but people argue and i have come around to this point of view largely that it went too far in basically demonizing the thing that hadn't been a choice before and it hadn't been a choice because it is what evolution handed to us right right so it demonized motherhood it demonized um being in a partnership with uh, you know monogamous monogamous relationship especially with a man it demonized desiring to stay home with your children yeah if you had chosen to have to have children and that's crazy Yep. Right. So we went from you know, one restrictive, um, one restrictive paradigm to a different restrictive paradigm. And there are many reasonable people arguing for um, both, both of those options ought to be able to be on the table just as, just as options, you know, anatomical and physiological limitations um, aside for the moment, just as, you know, there will be some men, not that many, probably, but there will be some men who would prefer to to stay home with their children and have that be their primary role when their children are young, right? There will be many more women for whom that would li- they would like that to be their primary role when they're young. But what I'm seeing increasingly is that is what women want. That is what women want to do. Like, some women do, but a lot of women don't.
0: Well, and, you know, the there are two different foci with respect to uh the trad women question yeah one has to do with uh turning back the clock on everything the other has to do with uh fixing what the sexual revolution got wrong right and the problem is that there is you know birth control is simultaneously a tremendous gift right one that if you use it irresponsibly can wreck your civilization, mm-hmm. but if you leverage it correctly can liberate women to do both things, right? A woman who wants to have children and to build a career can now control the timing of her family and the size of her family. And the point is...
1: Let me let me just say that um, often when birth control is invoked here, um, it is conflated with hormonal birth control, which it's 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 a subset, right? Yeah. They're, they're two different issues and hormonal birth control has a particularly um confusing effect. Yeah, it has on, it, it, on the woman who has it.
0: Right. I don't And, I don't know and
1: if... also and everyone around her because, because hormonal differences are smellable by us at an unconscious level.
0: Yeah. No, I just mean technologically reliable birth control. Right. right? The ability to control when you're going to produce children yeah. allows women to contribute to many things that they would have had difficulty contributing to before, because the timing of, of, uh, the production of a family was going to be inconvenient and disrupt. Mm-hmm. So the point is, you know, this is, it's like so many things, right? What you have here is a precious gift. And what, if you, what you do is you decide, Hey, cool, free for all, right. It screws everything up, right?
1: Antibiotics for everyone all the time.
0: Right. Yeah. Mushrooms. Yay. Um, yeah. yeah, so no, it's one—it's it, 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 right. one, one of these things, that, you know. Let's put it this way: um, this is complex because humans have sex when non, not fertile, and that mm-hmm. that is an evolutionary adaptation before birth control. Um, so it's not that sex must equal baby, right? But not at all. The fact that sex does not equal baby—that it has a relationship building. Aspect in humans that is clearly adaptive and is clearly, you know, it is about other things that are important. You know, they may be important because of their effect on the quality of the child you will raise, because a partnership that stays together and produces full siblings is a stronger one, right? Um, but the point is, recreation is again the villainous concept. You take really important stuff and you turn it into recreation. There's no telling what you will ruin, and I'm, again, I'm not arguing that in the case of any of the things, right? I'm not arguing that you shouldn't think, you know, food is absolutely delicious. That you shouldn't, um, you know,
1: have. Yeah, a you're gr- not speaking against pleasure. I do right. like um, this. This is a tough, a tough one, and I think I'd like to see you or us drill down on that at some point. And I don't know that now is the, is the right moment, but I, do, I don't. I don't think this lands, this is going to land with a lot of people, um, because it's, it, I just don't think it's quite, it's, it's not quite fully formulated. And I will say that I was reading some Wendell Berry again, and he was talking about exactly this in these words from like the 1970s about, um, the move, uh, to make, uh, sex recreational as opposed to, um, and, an amazing and you know an amazing part of a complete relationship in which that is one of the things that you are engaging in.
0: Yeah, well, for those who are looking for the delineator between what you might hear and what I actually mean, mm-hmm. I'm talking about the taking of things that are complex and generative and turning them into consumer activities., yeah. right? Yeah. it's the consumer approach. And it's, I'm not saying that there aren't things that you should consume. Mm-hmm. Right. But there's some things that are just too important. Right. I would say uh, music, sex, food, uh, hallucinogenic experiences. I'm not arguing that these things shouldn't be pleasurable. Hopefully they will be overwhelmingly so. But if you come at them as a consumer, you are actually shortchanging yourself. That's mm-hmm. what I'm getting at. Anyway, I will, I will leave it there but, um, wow, that was a lot of topics (laughs) buried (laughs) in that one conversation. That was
1: a lot of topics. And, um, yeah. Uh, well, we have a bunch more plans here. I mean, we'll go, I guess maybe we'll just go briefly through uh, other things. It seems, it seems like that was sort of the, the talk for today, but, um, two live streams ago, two weeks ago, we, in livestream number 181, you discuss the Special Olympics, right? And, uh, whether someone be able to identify their way into competing. Uh, here we have, you can show Zach my screen here. Yep. Uh, from July 13th, this is, um, uh, this is at some feminist site, uh, trans identified male wins bronze in women's 400 meters at 2023 world para athletics championships so it's not the special olympics but it's something equivalent and here's the dude um he he goes by valentina now uh he was born fabrizio and uh and at 49 beat uh let's see uh, racing against Amara Durand of Cuba and Alejandro Perez Lopez of Venezuela and Fatima El Zahra El Idrisi, that's the name I'm going to butcher, I'm afraid, of Morocco. Um, due to their visual disability, Durand and Lopez competed with guides who were wearing bright yellow vests and assisted the women to ensure they stayed on the course of the track because it is the Paralympics. Uh, well, so this guy is A, a guy. Um, but he also, why does he get to compete in the Paralympics? Like, what's his disability? But Trio has been diagnosed with Stargardt disease, a disorder of the eye that causes retinal degeneration over time. Due to this visual impairment, he has been permitted to compete in both matches designated for women with disabilities as well as those which are not. So it's happening. There it is. Right. Yeah. Um, this is this is a this is a able-bodied dude who is competing against um, women with visual impairment in the Paralympics or the para, whatever it's called, the para-athletics championships. And Oh, surprise, surprise, surprise. He's winning.
0: So it's, he's cheating twice over. Yeah. Which.
1: Oh, but poor, I mean, he's older than them. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, I,
1: I don't There's understand. not even very much more to say because we already talked about, you know, you basically predicted that this would start to happen and boom,
0: boom, there it is. Yeah. It's just yeah. stunning. I mean, the real question is, like, if I somehow decided to, um, I don't know, join some little kid's track and field and just beat the pants off them, you know, because my legs are longer. Right, mm-hmm. there's no part of me that can imagine feeling good about that
1: right well I mean we've talked about this right like we we've, we've talked a little bit about these these ancient human emotions like why where has shame gone and why has pride in things that at least used to be we understood that you couldn't change although now this is like these are opt-in things that you're now calling yourself pride proud to be something that you just decided you were yesterday but like i don't understand why pride is the thing that we are getting behind and why shame is something that it would be wrong to suggest that someone should feel ashamed like this feels like actually a, a reversal in way, like shame is a uh, an individual and societal level tool um by which if you when you feel ashamed of yourself uh sometimes maybe you're wrong and maybe you know hopefully you have friends and family around you can say like no no, no you didn't do anything wrong like you don't you don't need to be worried about that but usually then that's going to be embarrassment which is different right like shame is the thing that should be reserved for oh my god what did i do like why I can't, I can't really do that. How do I make it right? How do I make sure I never do that thing again? And it feels like there's just no one has any shame anymore.
0: Well, um, shamelessness is, a, of course, a, a, colloquially an old diagnosis. You don't hear people talk about it because right. I think it's become unremarkable. Yeah. Whereas it used to be very remarkable if you encountered a shameless person, that was a dangerous person because that person was capable of doing things in the pursuit of whatever that a normal person wouldn't be right. Right? or a normal adult wouldn't be. Yep. It's the shame that trains you to be decent.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I, I do have a concern, especially because pride is obviously um, one of the seven deadly sins. Right. And therefore, people who have a religious orientation think pride is a bad thing that has now become a good thing. And I don't think that's what happened.
1: No, I don't think that's what happened either. I have, and I've said this before, but like, I just, I'm not proud of being a woman. I don't understand the concept of pride in something that I had no choice in. Well, I mean I like I can I I can be proud of an accomplishment of my own. Yeah. I can be proud of the book that we wrote. I yeah. can be uh, you know, I can be proud of and I it's not a dominant emotion for me, I don't think, but it could be, and that's fine. Yeah. The the pride in something over which you had no no choice at all strikes me as a gamification at best.
0: Well, no, I think it has a, uh, a root that makes sense that has just uh, taken on a life of its own. So if you imagine the world before gay had become normal, mm-hmm. right? The world was shaming people who found themselves gay and had not chosen it. Yeah. Right? Something that they did, they did not have control to reverse right mm-hmm. you should be ashamed of yourself for what you are
1: yeah so it's a it's a reversal it's, of, yeah, yeah it's, it's a like you know, no I do not I know I should not feel ashamed and I do not feel ashamed and I am I am in fact the opposite of ashamed I am proud
0: right yep. so that pride standing up in the face of those who would shame you wrongly
1: mm-hmm. is one thing yeah
0: it is quite another thing at the point that this is no longer considered shameful for the pride to be an excuse to behave uh, in a gross way in front of families and to insist that anybody who thinks that's not cool is defective. Right now, you're weaponizing shame. Yep. And that reversal is, um, yeah, predictable enough, I guess, that, you know, here's a weapon lying there. It's not surprising that somebody picks it up. Mm -hmm. Um, but the people who benefited from the ability to express pride publicly as a way of standing up against shame that was never theirs to bear, Mm -hmm. right? Those people should now be standing up against pride and saying, look, maybe this is, there's no, we're not being shamed anymore. Maybe this is over, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, So anyway, Uh, but yeah, I don't think it would, you know, uh, I don't think anything that you're born to is something To be proud of inherently, right? It's what you accomplished. Yeah. But I don't think there's, you know, there's obviously pride as an adaptation. There's obviously a malignant form of it where it's, you know, overblown and will get you in trouble. And that's what the religious uh, uh, aphorisms are about. Yep. Um, But uh, you know, pride and shame are both adaptations. They're opposing adaptations. They both have their place, and out of place, they're both dangerous. And that's really the way to think of it, rather than oh pride is bad. Nope. Yeah. Nope. It is not inherently bad. It is easy for it to become bad.
1: Yeah. I guess I, you know, coming, coming at it from a purely secular position, I, I didn't, it didn't occur to me that there was, of course there would be a, a deep religious conviction around, around the word, around the, not the word, the, around the concept.
0: Well, we've, we've talked elsewhere about things that are, named either for the first place that they were discovered or named for the malignant version of the thing Mm -hmm. and that these become a problem because you can't contemplate the honorable version of something that has been named around the malignant version because as soon as you invoke it, the point is it's like, oh, you're on board with that malignant thing, yeah, right? I mean, you know, social credit. Oh, God, right? I've now invoked the CCP and its authoritarian... uh, panopticon nightmare state right (laughs) right well no they didn't invent social credit social credit was invented by selection when we lived in small groups and your reputation was what you lived on right so i don't but
1: there was yeah that was social credit without a uh central uh authorizing uh, you know authorizing party
0: right Right. But, yeah. but we have to be very careful. Anytime you've got two things that are close neighbors, right, an authoritarian state with a social credit system used to allocate uh, well-being, Goodies. right, mm-hmm. versus, you know, a human uh, cognitive system for tracking reliability, decency, generativeness, um, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Yeah, that guy never helps any of us raise barns. Right. But uh, he does ask when he needs help. Right. Maybe we should not be so eager to help him until he starts helping us.
0: Right. Exactly. Totally normal and not something you can't scale up because you can't monitor everybody's reputation in a giant civilization. So it's something that needs something, but it doesn't need the CCP.
1: Well, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, so social credit in a landscape that has been largely commodified doesn't work. Right. So because because while barn raising is kind of equivalent between farms presumably in some landscapes uh it's still not exactly a commodity because exactly what did you do Did you you know did you show up at the same time that everyone else showed up and really work hard all day and you know get the thing done or did you participate um by showing up after lunch and hanging out and mostly talking and then wander away after a couple of hours you know it's it's it's, it's it's not a commodity and uh, the way that social credit would now be uh, observed and assessed would be inherently a commodification. Yep. Okay. Do you want to talk about deep state or you want to save that?
0: I think I should save it. Okay. Um, it needs to be fully explored, and I don't want to give it short shrift, but I, I yeah. will just ask people to think about what their association with that term is. I've come in talking to many people about it to realize that there's a defect in our collective thinking over the deep state, and uh, we, will, we will engage it next live stream, and uh, that will give the deep state some time to prepare.
1: Well, I think we're also going to hold off on um, talking about the influence of China on British academics and academia. Um, there is some, I'll just say that The Telegraph published a, a piece this week um, that is fascinating and maybe begins to make some sense of um, how bad uh, some academics involved in talking about COVID Uh were and behaved and continued to behave uh during the the pandemic uh so let us us save that as well uh, for next time a week from now and is there anything else that uh you want to talk about
0: Um, no
1: i think that's about it all right well then uh let us let us oh Did you know that there were saber tooth anchovies?
0: <laughs> you know, here's the this
1: fact. is I was not going to talk about this today, so I don't have a lot of a lot of detail here. But this is something I actually research from May of 2020. Um, so this did not just come out, and they're no longer saber tooth anchovies.
0: There were saber there
1: were saber tooth anchovies in the wake of uh, the KT boundary, so you know the Cretaceous Tertiary boundary, 65 million years ago. Um, probably the, the mass extinction that was largely caused by Chicxulub. Chicxul, I never pronounce it Chicxulub. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, the big rock that hit uh, the planet around the Yucatan Peninsula, although there was also some stuff going on over in India with the Deccan traps. There's you know, a lot of stuff going on then massive extinctions as things began to settle. And there were all these niches open, a lot of clades <clears throat> produced forms that um, those clades had not seen before. And among them, Uh, in the anchovy clade or saber-tooth anchovies saber-tooth anchovies unfortunately i I have i I have a little uh, a little this so this is published in the royal society uh it's not a graphic so much but then um science um has a little scientific illustration here so this is just the science news reporting on the royal society paper um and it's this is weird because they say you know these saber-tooth anchovies which is what's being eaten here were actually probably predators, so it's showing. This is not a great graphic. It's just why I kind of wasn't going to show it, but, um, but yeah, the the saber saber tooth one, a single single saber tooth. One saber Apparently, tooth. Apparently, yeah. No. Yeah. Oh um,
0: my goodness, no, that I, is a strange beast. Yeah, a
1: single saber tooth on the upper jaw.
0: Yeah. Single saber tooth in the upper yeah, jaw. Yeah. Out of
1: Pakistan. Why? I think chew. They, they yeah they pierce with that, and then they got all those all those fancy teeth on the bottom that they used to chop, she chop, chop. their upper gums. You know, I wasn't there. Yeah, it's... and I, I have not. I did not make. I thought we were going to talk about some other stuff. I did not fully prepare this uh, for today, but um, yeah, the I, I will post so... the um, Royal Society paper. Uh, yeah, again published in May of 2020.
0: I will just point out mm-hmm. that the.
1: Oh, Sab- most remarkable is that this is from the abstract of the paper, sorry, published in the Royal Society uh, in 2020. Most remarkable is the presence of a single massive vomerine fang offset from the midline in both. So vomerine, that's the vomer bone. So it's not quite on the midline, interestingly. Not
0: quite. Yeah. I was yeah. going wondering how it was yeah. going to form. Yes, yeah. yeah, so I was just going to say that the saber tooth anchovy is the stuff of pizza nightmares.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. And yeah. That- Oh, and in fact, I think I, so. I, as it turns out, I tweeted about this back in 2020, and someone came back at me with that, and I basically said that
0: you knew that there had been saber anchovies in 2020, and now you tell me. And I
1: know. I, for, I forgot. I don't you know. Forgot? Honestly, I don't know how I ended up with this open on my computer. I was like, saber anchovies, really?" And I went back and I was like, "Wait, I, I talked about this a little bit online." Here's the
0: thing. Yeah. Since 2020, I know. Undoubtedly, we have spoken about anchovies probably at least three times.
1: I. Probably not. In fact, no, I, this, this we may were, in fact be the first time that you and I have ever spoken about anchovies. We were locked anchovies. down
0: together for months. We yes, must but... have talked about anchovies a few times. Anchovies. Yeah. Not a lot. I was not a high uh, level of traffic on that topic over I that I don't period. think so.
1: I mean, if we're going to talk about pizza toppings, I think it's more likely to be pepperoni, so pineapple your, even.
0: Your defense is that we never spoke of anchovies, and that's why you didn't mention the saber-tooth variety.
1: I would think, yeah. Yeah, I think that's my defense. It's
0: going to be very hard for me to prove that's not true (laughs) at this point, but I doubt it. I think we spoke of Anchovy. You think I was keeping it? You held this back. Really? Yeah. For this moment? I don't know for what.
1: Who knows? yeah. Yeah. You can't read my mind. No. Okay, well, good. saber anchovies, anchovies um, off the list of things we have to mention, um, but it did it did put me in mind of so like why why is that funny, right? Like why is saber anchovies? I mean, aside from the fact that it's actually a very strange like single off the midline on the vomer bone, but like saber anchovies sounds ridiculous because we have an idea of what that clade does, and even if you don't think phylogenetically, you don't think like an evolutionary biologist, you still have an idea of like no anchovies aren't like that. Right. Um, So in that vein, they're also vegetarian piranha.
0: Vegetarian piranha. Right. So
1: we had a friend in grad school whose research was on the clade of fishes in the Amazon that are piranhas. But there's a there's like a subclade within piranhas that are strict vegetarians, which is also surprising. They
0: themselves are strict vegetarians.
1: As opposed to?
0: I thought they ate vegetarians.
1: They do not those ones. The non-vegetarian piranhas may specialize on eating vegetarians although i doubt that
0: yes you have to eat more than one
1: because they're not very satisfying
0: <laughs> uh no look the reason it's funny mm-hmm. the reason it's funny
1: which saber-tooth anchovies saber- or vegetarian saber- so
0: saber-tooth anchovy yeah. is correct the phrase is correctly structured to be funny yes because saber-tooth conjures something quite frightening yes and anchovy <laughs> conjures the opposite, and so it it creates that little whiplash we call funny.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I think vegetarian piranha does the same thing.
0: Yeah, it, yeah. in yeah, but it it's sort of a you know rapidly scale up in the vegetarian piranha case, and uh, scale down rapidly in the.
1: I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure I understand what the scale is there, but, uh, but. Um, and how, dangerous.
0: How, how, how dangerous, how important, how high a priority is that you think
1: uh, about starting, this? Starting with the dangerous part. Yes. Um, like, sabertooth, what? Oh, and, oh, that's just funny. I see. So it's it can be humorous if you realize that the threat isn't what you thought it was. Oh my God, Whereas there's
0: it's, a saber-tooth anchovy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Whereas it might be dangerous or just confusing yeah. if you're like, oh, it's a vegetarian. What? Piranha? Oh, but it's a vegetarian. Wait, what right. again? <laughs> yeah.
0: How strict does this vegetarian piranha <laughs> adhere to its vegetarian right. diet? Is
1: it one of these piranhas that also eats chicken, for instance?
0: Was it one day or many of it? <laughs> yep.
1: Okay. Um, maybe now we're done. Yes. Okay. We have arrived. Um, next week, we'll be back in a week uh, with not just our live stream, uh, but also a Q&A afterwards. And you can find us more places as well. There will, will there be a guest episode between now and then being released? I think we have,
0: we have enough,
1: yes. yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think there'll be a guest episode coming out probably on Saturday. Uh, and uh, please check out Natural Selections where I write uh, most weeks. This week I wrote a, I wrote a little avian allegory about um, gulls and eagles and the uh, extent to which the gulls uh, will act to protect their young from bald eagles. Uh, something that we should all be willing to do for our children. Uh-huh. Um, you can go to darkhorsestore.org, uh, which is uh, the where you will find the print shop uh, that's um, based out of. The dog is moaning. Uh, I don't know if she, maybe she wants some merchandise. You want like a Pfizer where the breakthroughs never stop shirt or no. The dog does not wear stuff. She's looking at me like, could you please be quiet and let me outside now? Um, Sigh up until proven otherwise, we've got um, uh, all at darkhorsestore.org. Uh, we got the book.
0: Do we still have um, Tour de France? I think. Because the Tour de France is happening. Yeah. Um, so, look it up yeah and see you may want to check shirts that say Tour de France. It's like bike racing on steroids.
1: <laughs> yeah so zach my friend zach is going to um see if that is still available well while, while i remind everyone that we are now um on locals that's where the watch party has been happening please join us there we still have our patreons open um and we'll be doing um the private q a one last time this month at my patreon uh, and, and Brett will continue to have conversations at, at his uh, we encourage you to join us there the Discord uh, which is live at our Patreons and which we're going to make live at Locals but it's not quite there yet uh, is fantastic, great group of people uh, consider checking out our wonderful sponsors this week again, S's: Soul which makes um, amazing footbeds; Sundays which makes great dog food and Seed which makes great probiotics and prebiotics Uh, We're going to have links to all of those in our show notes and reminder that we are supported by you, our audience. We are very grateful to you. We encourage you to uh, subscribe to the channel rumble um if 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 you're here and if you're not come over to rumble uh we're not going to get censored on rumble and uh, we still have the channel open on on youtube of course but uh, we encourage you to come over to rumble join us on locals uh, consider liking sharing full episodes clips anything that if you feel like you can um share with people that will actually get them talking and thinking well um, that's what we're that's what we're trying to do so uh you find anything yet Zach? up there Okay. Um so let's uh let's get the uh Tour de France uh, merch back up. And uh and consider going there. Until we see you next time, be good to the ones you love, eat good food and get outside.
0: Be well everyone.